But one of the big things that I don't think people recognize are proton pump inhibitors like Prilosec. It's huge for B12. And it also gets rid of magnesium in the body. So those are really important because people just think, oh, I have a little indigestion and they'll start using those over the counter. And then before long, their B12 is really low and they're having all these problems and they just don't put it together. Welcome to the Empowered Podcast, where we bring you expert clinical perspectives on the latest health data and wellness trends. Each week, we'll cut through the noise and answer your unanswered health questions, helping you take control of your everyday well-being. Meet Erin. Hey. The lowest maintenance registered dietitian who ever lived. When she isn't traveling the world, you'll find her nurturing her family, coworkers, and literally anyone within a six foot radius. Meet Austin. Hey everyone. Among the rare breed of male nutritionists, he's a Thai food fanatic, avid home coffee roaster, and a classic Enneagram type two. On today's episode, we're gonna be talking about five critical nutrients that you might be low in, and that's with Dr. Peg Daly. Peg is an A4M fellowship trained naturopath and a family nurse practitioner. She had a private functional medicine practice in the Midwest. She's certified in cardiometabolic medicine and as an organic gardener. So essentially she's the perfect blend between natural medicine and conventional medicine, what we like to call functional medicine. So stick around. The Empowered DX podcast is for general educational purposes only and is not medical advice. If you have any questions about your own health, please consult a healthcare provider. Visit the Empowered DX Terms of Use webpage for the full podcast disclosure. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Empowered Podcast. My name is Austin, and I'm here with Aaron. How's it going? Hey, Austin. Great. How are you? Fantastic. I'm also here with Dr. Peg Daly. How's it going, Peg? Wonderful. Fantastic. And you go by Peg, is that right? Sure. That's okay. fine. Excellent. Very casual. So, Aaron, what did you want to talk about today? Well, we're excited to have Dr. Peg on our podcast, and we're talking about the top five most common nutrient deficiencies. Ooh. I know. She's agreed to fill us in on what she sees most in her practice um, and just some trends that she's been seeing lately. Fantastic. So I think we could start with an overview first, though. So, so Peg, can you tell us what are micronutrients? What are nutrients? What do they do? Where do you get them? Why, why should we even care? Sure. I, I think that's a great thing to bring up because micronutrients are, you know, are vitamins or minerals that are used in different processes in the body. And they really run a lot of um, enzyme processes. So that helps us break down foods or it helps us make certain things in our body that our body needs for living. So it's really critical that we have the right vitamins, the right nutrients, if you will, in the right amounts. And we usually get those from foods primarily. So if we can't get them from foods, then we might need to take an extra vitamin or some kind of supplement. So finding out where we are at baseline and then getting it to where we need it to be is really key. When your patients come in, are they experiencing certain symptoms that would make you want to dive deeper or check on these micronutrient levels? Sometimes they are very severe and sometimes they're just kind of vague. I think maybe a good one to start with, just to talk about maybe some of the B vitamins. Those are, um, those are some of the ones that people come in with and they are fatigued and it really takes some digging to figure out, okay, exactly what's going on here. But one of the things that 
we really need to think about is medications. I mean, anytime that a patient comes in and they're on a medication, a pharmaceutical agent, most often they will have nutrients that are deficient based on those medications because you're pulling out an active ingredient and it, it takes a lot of, um, it takes a lot of energy out of the body in terms of those micronutrients to process it. And so sometimes those um, pharmaceuticals will block different enzymes or block different processes in the body. So we have to compensate for those. So when you think about, let's just start with vitamin B6, if you don't mind, because that's a big one that we see. And it's really common in people that have like liver, kidney, autoimmune issues, um, trying to think of some others like alcoholics that people are that drink too much maybe they smoke people that might be a little overweight pregnant women those kind of things those people you have to kind of raise your radar and say okay we need to be thinking about b6 for them because b6 is involved in like i don't know over 150 different reactions in the body wow. so it helps wow. us process like proteins and carbs and fats and things like that and it's really linked to the nervous system and our immune system. So it has a lot of antioxidant and anti-inflammatory um, properties. So, you know, when you have it in the proper amounts, it can help us prevent chronic conditions like cancers or heart disease, that kind of thing. Um, and I know you guys have done a great job on teaching people about MTHFR and how vitamin B12 and folate helps reduce homocysteine and so forth. In the body, you've talked about that before on your podcast, I think. And B6 is one of those players that has to be in that pathway that helps um, with those folks that have MTHFR, genetic issues. So when you have a patient comes in with um, a B6 deficiency, sometimes they'll have something called seborrheic dermatitis. They'll have this itchy rash on their neck. And sometimes that is the main presenting symptoms or in the winter time a lot you'll see people with little cracks at the edge of their uh, lips and that can be b6 deficiency it's i haven't seen a lot but there is a um, glossitis which is a swollen tongue that's sore and inflamed and red i i don't see that a lot in my practice but that is something that can happen with b6 deficiency so it's always something to be alert and and aware of a lot of times people just complain of fatigue. And so if they're depressed, um, irritable, they have uh, anxiety, that can be a piece of it. And most often when people are depressed, sometimes they'll have some fatigue with it. So it's always good to check and see, okay, maybe that's it because B6 is involved in making serotonin. We all know about serotonin and brain function and how it plays in the gut and in the brain. So that's a big thing with B6. That's excellent information and a lot of great um, information to think about. You mentioned some disease states. Did you say blood pressure? Um, are there certain medications that you would, if someone came into you, you were looking for that would lower um, B6? Yes. You know, the big steroids are huge. That's probably the biggest one. But another thing is some of the asthma medicines, um, like if they have, if they've ever been exposed to tuberculosis, they'll put them on isoniazide. That's one of them. But birth control pills, that is huge for women. So anybody of 
childbearing age that are on birth control pills, that's a big thing that we need to be looking for B6 deficiency. And then um, vasodilators for cardiovascular medications like calcium channel blockers, if they're on those type of meds, and also diuretics like loop diuretics like Bumex and Lasix. And that's a really common medication that's used and that can interfere with B6 levels. So it's always good to kind of have your antenna up about those medications and look for those deficiencies in people that are on those pharmaceutical drugs. That's so wild that you mentioned that B6 alone can contribute to mental health issues, to low energy, to skin issues. So that, that's just very, very surprising to me, I'm sure, to our listeners mm-hmm. as well. So what would you say to to somebody you're helping to that wants to increase their B6 level? And maybe it could be supplements, it could be food. What do you recommend? Yeah, sometimes we'll just do supplements just to get them kind of tuned up. And then as they're working with maybe a dietitian to help, um, you know, with the foods that have B6 in it. But a lot of times people can't just take B6. It has to be the active form because there's a, there's two forms of it. And you'll see that in a lot of different vitamins that they'll have one form and then the body has to convert it over and activate it, if you will. So they may need something that's activated already. Um, especially if they have anemia associated with the B6 anemia, that can happen too. So that may be a big, a big problem. Um, but going too far can also cause things like uh, carpal tunnel syndrome. So you have to worry about, you need to stay in this range of not too much, not too little, but you have to think about how much you're giving. So it needs to be monitored. It needs to be measured so that we're in the right range. Because it can, you know, you can have nerve damage, um, you know, like shooting pain in your arms or legs, that kind of thing, pins and needles. So that's a big, that's a big deal with B6. Interesting, though. That's fascinating that it's that that a water soluble vitamin that you could just if you eat, you know, take too much of bees, I always thought you could just pee it out, right? And that's not necessarily the case. Right. It just depends on what else is going on in the body. And you don't know until you look. And that's the big thing about testing is you have to look. So Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's really the key is looking. You have to look and for optimal health. I mean, everybody says, okay, you can have a normal level, but is it optimal for you? And that's the big thing that we have to talk to clients about in the office is, yes, it may be in that normal range, but is it in the optimal range? And I think we all need to be aware of what is optimal on an individual in of one, if you will, a level. So that's what we're trying to look at when we look at um, vitamins. That makes sense. Okay. When you look at B6, are you also looking at the other B vitamins? I think you mentioned um, some of those may be deficient as well. Yes, I think so too. I think so. Um, I did want to mention one thing because If you are pregnant, I think it's really important that you monitor B vitamins because people don't think about that. And a lot of OBGYNs just will put, you know, pregnant mamas on a multiple vitamin that has some B6 in it. But there is a deficiency that can cause a B6 that can cause seizures in newborns. And that's been known for a long, long time, because if you, you know, back in, I think it was like in the 50s or 
late 50s, early 60s, as I recall, um, when they didn't put B6 in the infant formulas and babies had seizures. So it's a big it's a big thing to make sure that mothers are adequately treated with um, vitamins that have enough for them in it. Yeah, that's, that's fascinating. And then there isn't there a connection between B6 during pregnancy, you're having morning yeah. sickness, and I've seen right. a lot of pregnant moms taking B6 or B6 mixed with, you know, a doxalamine or something, right? Right, right, exactly. It can really be a, a big help in um, in people that have pregnancy-associated nausea and vomiting, yeah. That's awesome. So then b- back to the other B vitamins, what about B12? Can we talk about that for a second? Oh, absolutely, B12. Um, I think that one, I see people when they're trying to be, you know, healthy, some people will go on a vegan diet and I'm all about that. If you need to be on a vegan diet for some reasons, that's great. But B12, you get a lot through your diet in animal sources. And so people that are on a vegetarian or if they're on a vegan diet, especially, they will be B12 deficient. So that's a time that you really have to zone in and make sure that they are adequately supplied with a supplement uh, for B12. A lot of times those people will come in and they'll have um, oh, a lot of GI issues, like they'll have constipation or diarrhea, or they'll have a lot of flatus, or they just their appetite isn't what it should be. Um, they also can have numbness and tingling. I've had patients that have had some vision changes with it, but weakness, they're just really tired or short of breath, or they may have heart palpitations. Those are some of the things that really lead me to check on their B12 levels. But again, because we know that it, it, it does have a, um, a brain function, I mean, uh, an association, they'll have memory loss or depression. Depression is big with some of the B vitamins. So that's something that we need to check when they're having problems with depression is to check on that B12 and then figure out why. Why are you deficient? And it can come right down to the diet. And that's a big, that's a big thing. Um, and what kind of forms do you recommend to to take? I think I've heard of nutritional yeast, but I don't know if that's still a thing. Yeah, it is for vegans. They can do nutritional yeast. A lot of people don't like the taste of it. So sometimes we'll just give them a supplement or they can do injections even at home. They can do a, you know, injection with a with about a thousand micrograms once a week or so is usually enough. Um and there's different types of B12, as I think you were alluding to as well. There's cyanocobalamin, there's methylcobalamin, and there's even others because some people can't accept they genetically they'll need a special type of B12. So B12 is a little tricky in looking at genetics associated with it and what type the patient needs. Um, most of the time, a methyl B12 will get it, but there are certain cases that they can't use that either. So we have to really be on the look for those people, especially. It definitely makes sense. And if, for anybody that missed it, go check out our MTHFR podcast. It's a gene that uh, tells your body how to activate certain B vitamins, or they call them methylation. And so definitely relates to, to B12 here. And, and while we're talking about taking an active form. Yes. Yep. It's really important that it's the active form. Exactly. For B12, I mean, is it the same as B6 that you can take too much of it? You know, B12, I don't see that as often. 
as B6, it doesn't seem to, it seems to be fine. If you're um, taking B12, it usually comes out in the urine and without a lot of consequence. I haven't seen that mm-hmm. in my practice at least. Yeah. But some of the things that really just takes it out of the body are people that, like people that have chronic bronchitis, a lot of times physicians will put them on a week of antibiotics every single month. And when they're on those, they just crush your B12 levels. So things like um, common ones will be Zithromax or Keflex. I'm sure everybody's heard of those. Or Cipro, those kind of antibiotics really deplete uh, B12 in the body. And then there's other things too. Some people that are on anti-convulsant medicines, that will do it too. So anti-diabetic medicines and then birth control pills again will do it. Um, and there's some cardiac meds that will de- deplete it too. But one of the big things that I don't think people reckon or recognize are proton pump inhibitors like Prilosec. It's huge for B12. And it also gets rid of magnesium in the body. So those are really important because people just think, oh, I have a little indigestion. And they'll start using those over the counter. And then before long, their B12 is really low and they're having all these problems and they just don't put it together. So that's when they present in your office with this whole mishmash of of symptoms and meds and things and you're trying to sort it all out. Wow. And, you know, is there another, maybe you mentioned this before, a little bit about gut health. Um, Do you see that being an issue when people have poor gut health that they're not able to absorb these nutrients? Exactly. I agree. Exactly. And that's one of the big things too, is the gut brain connection. And I'm sure you guys have talked about that on some other podcasts, or maybe that's upcoming, but just looking at the relationship between what's going on in our gut, because our our GI tract can make a lot of things for us. So it can make some of the vitamin Ks for us. And those are really important, but it, it feeds back to the brain, all those things that happen with allergies and Um, inflammation. And then we have brain inflammation as a result. So the gut is hugely important. And you're exactly right. A lot of those things are not absorbed and they need to be given in different routes. So B12 is one of those you can give in a tablet underneath the tongue. You can give an injection, or if they can't absorb it, you can give it in a, in a capsule. Excellent. Great info. So we've talked about B6 and B12, and you mentioned B vitamins. What about folate, B9? What's the deal with that one? Yeah, folate is huge, as you know, with um, the MTHFR that you that you guys have talked about previously. But folate is one of those that is needed in certain amounts because it helps um, it helps in the methylated form as a donor to help convert homocysteine back to methionine. And I know that sounds kind of crazy, but it can, um, you have to have a methyl donor. And so methylfolate is a big thing. It's the active one. So it is in, you can, you'll see that a lot of folks that will have like a macrocytic anemia as a result of folate um, deficiency. And again, some of the drugs will play into that. So one of the common things is um, methyltrexate that people will use when they have autoimmune issues. And 
that is a big thing that will deplete it in the body. You can also have a lack of folic acid or folate in the body because of alcohol issues. Um, And then like the MTHFR is a genetic issue. So it's a big thing and we have to recognize it as well. Um, And one of the things, if you're looking at the MTHFR, which is the genotype, we can look at the way our body expresses the phenotype, and that would be the homocysteine, because as we mentioned, the methylation um, will turn homocysteine into methionine. So if we have a whole lot of homocysteine that you find on a blood draw, then we know that it isn't turning into methionine. It isn't being methylated back into the other amino acid. So that's something that we usually look at together. We'll look at the folate and we'll look at um, homocysteine and make sure that things are going back the right direction. Well, it's a pretty intense science there, Peg. <laughs> Appreciate that, that deep <laughs> explanation. Exactly. Yeah, we like to go geek mode on our podcast as often as possible. <laughs> so what do you do to increase it? Well, I think that you can do with a supplement, obviously, but you can also do a lot of that with foods in like leafy green vegetables, um, beans, whole grains are natural sources of folic acid. And um, I don't want people to, I, I want you to remember too, and I'm sure you guys have talked about this on other podcasts, but neurotube defects, if a mama who's pregnant, you know, has a lack of folate in their body, that can cause neurotube defects in the infant. And that's really huge. And so that's why we want to have every mother on supplements, at least in a multiple vitamin form, and then measuring along the way to make sure. But that's that's in that first trimester when that neurotube is formed in that infant. So it's important that she knows ahead of time And that's part of the pre-planning before you get pregnant is to look at all these things and make sure that they're at the proper levels before you start trying to conceive because you don't, you don't have time. You don't even know you're pregnant for maybe six weeks or so till Mm -hmm. you've missed your first period and you should be on that already. Mm -hmm. I'm really glad you brought that up. I think that, you know, a lot of women are just taking a, a, regular prenatal vitamin and trying to prepare that way. But if they hear information like this, maybe they'll test prior. And then again, knowing whether or not they need that methylated form is so important as well. Um, As far as the methylated form of folate, can anybody take that? Is, Is it harmful to take a methyl folate if you, you know, are doing an Good job converting. Any thoughts on that? If you're able to convert, I don't think you need the methyl form, but I think that there's no harm in taking it. And I mm-hmm. usually put people on a methyl form mm-hmm. and then we'll test. And if it's not working, then we, they need some additional genetic testing to see if they needed another type of mm-hmm. B12. So I haven't had a problem with that. Um, there... There are sometimes, but that's when we were talking about doing homocysteine, looking at the homocysteine along with it, because if you are using too much methylfolate, then it can have an impact on decreasing your homocysteine. And if your homocysteine is too low, 
then you can't make glutathione in the body. And glutathione is huge antioxidant, especially for helping to regulate all the processes that work in the liver. And it helps detoxify some of the female hormones. And that's really, really, really important because you can lead to other types of cancers, uh, female cancers, if we can't detoxify those hormones appropriately. So there is a danger if you're just not watching the levels and you're watching that homocysteine go down to three, that's way too low in my world. But um, I guess in that way, yes, we need, as long as we're watching, we're Mm -hmm. okay. (laughs) That's fascinating. And I think so important for our listeners to understand that, you know, don't just go out and take a bunch of supplements and without monitoring and talking to your physician and, and making sure that, you know, you're taking what's right for you. And, and as you mentioned before, that's why it's so important to test. Yeah, definitely. So on to number four, CoQ10. Let's talk about CoQ10 for a little bit. So what's your, what's your take on it? Why is it important? What does it do? And how do we get some more of it? Oh my gosh. That's one of my favorite things ever. And we could talk for 30 minutes about COQ10, but it's a huge antioxidant. And people think just because they're young that they're fine. Well, by the age of 30, the body starts to decrease it. It's natural production of it in our bodies. And you can be deficient at age 35 and not realize it. Fatigue. I mean, people come in with fatigue all the time and it's COQ10 because it's a cofactor that's needed for our bodies to make energy in every single cell. So it's in the mitochondria is where this energy production is made and you need COQ10 to make these energy packets, ATP packets. So it's a big, it's a big deal and it uses other nutrients along the way to help make that too. So that's where your B vitamins come in, carnitine, other things that are needed along with that COQ10. But a lot of people that are on um, statin drugs or beta blockers, they will have decreased COQ10 because of where those medications work in the body and they stop the production um, of COQ10. So they're tired. And a lot of times they'll say, I have muscle pain because they have those energy packets. They can't make enough for their skeletal muscles. And so they'll have muscle pain. Um, on those medicines. And it's really just rebalancing some of the COQ10, making sure their vitamin D is the right uh, levels, and then also checking things like um, magnesium and thyroid and those kind of things. So I think looking at cardiovascular medications when people come in, and again, those um, diuretics that they're on, if they're complaining of you know muscle pain, fatigue, twitching, brain fog, those kind of things is really important to evaluate COQ10. And I think the lab that you use is a big thing for COQ10 because it's not an easy thing to collect in the doctor's office with some conventional labs. They need, you know, has to be in a special um, vial and it has to be frozen, wrapped in foil. It's light sensitive. So there are some other labs that don't need all that. And so it's a lot easier to get an accurate value um, with some labs. So I think the lab that you use is important when you're looking at COQ10 levels as well. And then I know we don't have a lot of time left, but 
there's two forms of COQ10. Your body, again, has to activate things. So there's ubiquinone and ubiquinol. Um, and there's very few foods that contain COQ10. So you really have to be supplementing most of the time with it. I'm glad that you brought that up because there's so many supplements out there. And then, then you have to know you know, which form to take. So thank you for mentioning those two forms, the ubiquinone and the ubiquinol. Is there one in particular that, that you prefer? I usually put people on ubiquinol. That's the active form because it goes down that electron transport chain and it kind of changes back and forth, back and forth. But ubiquinol, you know that you're getting the active form in your body. And I think that that's really helpful so that there's no guessing. You know that you're getting it. Measure how much you have um, and measure your or take a look at your symptoms. And then we can adjust the dosage from there. All right, Peg. So we've talked about the top four, but now number five, what about magnesium? You mentioned it almost, probably three or four different times is related to the other B vitamins to, to COQ10, CoQ10. Um, what is it? Why does it matter? What do we do about it? Oh, Yeah. Magnesium, there are probably 500 or so, maybe even more reactions in the body that require magnesium. And it's really interesting because the symptoms of low magnesium are all over the place. I mean, you can have everything from seizures to high blood pressure, muscle twitching, cramping, anxiety, heart disease, I don't know, headaches. But my favorite is insomnia because it's crazy that. You, how do you tie that? I mean, most people are chasing insomnia with melatonin. Well, it may not be. It may be that it's magnesium. And in today's world, I can tell you just about every one of us needs magnesium. And there are, again, so many things that, that will deplete it. And we talked about those proton pump inhibitors. Well, this is another one that really is impacted by Prilosec and Prevacid, those kind of drugs. Um, they really just pull out magnesium from the body. So anybody that's on anything like a proton pump inhibitor or um, oh, diuretics or another one, antibiotics, you have to look for magnesium deficiency. But another thing that you have to think about is people that drink, you know, they'll say, oh, I drink a pot of coffee every day. And you're looking at them like, you mean like a 12 cup pot of coffee or 10 cup? <laughs> you know, when they think, say a pot of coffee, you really have to quantify that. And yes, some people will drink that much. And that affects, as you know, our homocysteine levels, but also magnesium is depleted with sugar and caffeine. And mm. a lot of people, when they're feeling tired, that's what they reach for are some of those energy drinks and coffee and sugar. So they combine those together and their magnesium is really depleted. And anybody that has kidney issues, because our magnesium levels are really regulated by our kidneys. So that's a big thing. And then there's other things that stay in balance. And I'm sure if any woman has ever been in their doctor's office and they've been given um, the lecture about what to do for bone health after postmenopause, you know, it's all about calcium magnesium balance. And so you do have to think about that. But it usually is about a two to one ratio with, with magnesium to calcium. Um, and we can get a lot of calcium in our diet, but too much calcium can be problematic, as you're aware. So 
really looking at magnesium is a, a big thing. But here's the problem with magnesium is people go out and they'll get the wrong kind because mm. there's so many different salts on the market with magnesium. But they'll say, oh, I can't take it. And you'll say, well, what did you buy? And they'll say, oh, magnesium citrate. Well, yes, that's what we give for people that are going to have a bowel prep for you know, a colonoscopy or something is magnesium citrate. So they're going to have loose stools. So getting the right form of magnesium and kind of matching it to what you need in the body. But there's lots of different um, magnesium salts and different types that are effective. And it, it just takes talking through things with your healthcare practitioner to decide what's right for you. And sometimes it's a combination of a couple different types because some may be absorbed better than others um, in, in the body. So it's, magnesium is fascinating, but boy, there are a lot of problems when you're deficient in magnesium. I'm sure that our listeners can relate. I mean, you had some really good um, information there. First of all, caffeine um, and then, yeah, not being able to sleep. And, you know, then the sources that you're getting. So what form should you be taking? That's really excellent. You can get magnesium in uh, things like um, whole grains, nuts, greens, beans. I mean, there, there are a lot of things that you can get it in, but you may need more than just what you can get in foods because a lot of our foods, depending on how they're grown, can be depleted in minerals. And that's why we need to be looking. We need to be testing because just because we do a great diet, if you will, it can be void of a lot of these nutrients that we need. Um, so I don't know, Erin, it, it's a big, it's a big thing. It is. And do you feel like that is part of the reason why people are deficient is because of how things have changed with how our food is made? Yes, I really do. I think mm -hmm. the soil is depleted. Mm -hmm. And when the soil is depleted, you can't expect the food source to have mm -hmm. anything in it because it looks like a great, you know, piece of fruit, if you will, or a, or a great, um, I don't know, lettuce. I mean, even our lettuce that you grow at home, you still have to replenish the soil and rotate crops and things like that. So when you're looking at commercial foods that you're buying in a grocery store, you have to buy organic. You need to really know your source, know the farms as best you can so that they do do crop rotation because crops will take out a certain mineral out of the soil. And so the same plant in that particular soil shouldn't be grown two or three years in this, you know, in a row because that soil is completely diminished. It has to, you know, you have to renew it. And that's where you can use some of those natural compost and things like that to renew the soil so that you have those minerals back again. So it's, it's really fascinating. I love gardening, organic gardening, because you have to think about all those things. But it's, it's big, especially in our commercial farming. I think we need to have a, just one big chat about agriculture pretty soon. Yes. So yes. fascinating, right? If we're, we could be doing everything right, eating all the right foods, but if we're not choosing nutrient-dense foods based on agriculture, that's, that's, that's fascinating, right? It really is. Yeah, I don't know about you, Austin, but I'm going to be looking at my supplement 
closet just to make sure I have some of these (laughs) nutrients in there. (laughs) Definitely. So Peg, you mentioned testing a bunch of times, right? And full disclosure, Aaron and I work in Empower DX and we, we actually offer a B12 and folate at home tests. You can collect it yourself. We all offer a standalone COQ10, coenzyme Q10 test. Um, but what do you recommend, Peg? What kind of tests do you usually choose or where, where do you have your, your patients get tested? Well, I really think that there's two things that are important in my mind. First off, if you do a serum test, which would be a blood test to find out, okay, how much is available for the cells to use. And then you look at things a little deeper on a cellular level, looking at things like a red blood cell amount. Those are two different tests in my mind because you you look at what's available and then you have to think about how does it get into the cell itself? Well, there are transporters and you can have broken transporters and it never gets into the cell, but the plasma level or whatever is is A-OK. But on a cellular basis, on a red blood cell, you're not getting you're not getting the uh, nutrient all the way there. So it could be that you need to adjust levels of supplements to kind of overcome some of the transporter issues, or add some other nutrients to help those transporters work better. So those are some things, and I I really think um, like when we were talking about CoQ10, there. See, and we talked a little bit about testing for that. It's a big deal. And I think I have used commercial labs like Quest and LabCorp before, but I, I guess we all know, and maybe I should say this out loud, but I work full-time presently for Boston Heart Diagnostics, and we use COQ10 testing there. And I really have been impressed Um because you don't have to, you can draw it and you don't have to put it in foil. It's not light sensitive. And it gives you a great overview of the ubiquinone and ubiquinol combined. And so you know what's going on with that patient. You know what's available for them. So I think knowing what's available and for the body to use and then what the body is able to use on the cellular level is important. That's fascinating. So with the able to use it, and you mentioned red blood cells, are you saying, hey, ask your doc if they'll order you a CBC just to get the, the rundown of red blood cells and the health of them and number of them and count and everything? Well, I think that's important because you can have, as we mentioned before, some of the anemias um, will show up with B6 and B12 deficiencies. But I'm talking about Um, looking at a red blood cell magnesium level, for example, those kind of things. Looking at it on a cellular level gives you a little bit different perspective. Are things working or not the way they should? If you look at um, B6, you can look at that way as well in folate. So Mm -hmm. looking at what's available and what's used, I think is important. Now, how do consumers, average consumers, how do they advocate for themselves? I mean, do most practitioners know this and dig this deep? Or how does somebody take ownership of their health, take it into their own hands and and say, you know what, I I feel like I'm I'm nutrient deficient. I need to get some testing. You know, I can get some Empower testing or whoever online. But then you're mentioning there's, there's so many deeper levels to go. Who do they go to? 
Well, I'm an advocate for patients to, to visit with a functional medicine practitioner because they're specially trained in looking deeper. And if you have a primary care, especially somebody who practices under a hospital um, group practice, they honestly are mandated to see so many patients an hour. And you can't have those deep dive discussions with someone who's seen a patient every 10 minutes. It's just impossible. And they will usually only see you for the main symptom that you're there today. So that may be your elbow hurts and you have, you know, a a muscle pain or a cut or, you know, whatever that might be. They're not going to go into, oh, I'm having problems with sleeping in addition to my headache, in addition to some diarrhea or whatever. It just doesn't work. But when you see a functional medicine doctor, they look at you from beginning to end, if you will. They go back, they look at your lifestyle, they look at your diet, they look at the environment that you live in, they ask you about pets in the home, mold, um, do you live next to a highway with carbon monoxide fumes or car exhaust fumes, you know, just all of those things that normal primary care doctors aren't going to ask you about. And then you start boiling it down to, okay, based on this, this, and this, I think we need to to pursue some deeper testing. And that's when we start to get into these other other tests. So I have a lot of patients that may have a primary care doctor, but then they'll come and they'll see me for the functional medicine piece. We can work in concert with functional medicine doctors. Um, When I was in full-time practice, those were my primary care patients. But those are the patients that you're spending 45 to 60 minutes with on a follow-up and two hours with on a first visit. There's a lot to learn about a patient. The psychosocial issues that they have, it's, it's just huge. And it's really important because that's, you need to know them and that impacts their, their health. You know, if you're depressed and you're taking care of an autistic child and trying to work full-time and trying to be a caregiver for your relative who has dementia, Think about that, the stress and all those things that impact that that person in front of you. It's huge. So sorting through all that can't happen in a 10-minute visit. Definitely. Right. Sounds like a pro tip, though. Everyone uh, listening, go find yourself a functional medicine doctor. Can you just Google that and say, hey, I'm, I'm in you know Chicago, functional medicine doctor? Yes, you can, actually. There are a couple organizations that have functional medicine training programs for physicians. A4M is a good one. Institute for Functional Medicine, IFM is a good one. There's two or three other ones in the country, and they have trained thousands of practitioners. So we have functional medicine doctors in in every state, for sure, and most metropolitan cities, and some are in the rural areas, too. So, And there may be functional medicine doctors that didn't take the certification exam that have gone through the training or in training. So ask, just ask or call those organizations and ask who's in the area. And they usually have a directory and a listing of those. And yes, you can find them pretty easily. So powerful. And I know Austin and I have have been lucky enough to be introduced to functional medicine through people like you. So we feel lucky and we want all of our listeners to be able to look into that for themselves and be advocates for themselves as well. So Peg, are there any final nutrients that 
I know there's so many and we limited you to five, <laughs> but um, are there any bonus nutrients that we should look for and that you've seen in your practice as far as deficiencies? Well, I think probably the, the next one that we should talk about is vitamin D because we're coming up on um, the fall season and winter time coming pretty soon. And boy, you see so many people that have seasonal affective disorder and it's because of sunlight. And when you get north of that latitude, you lose all that sun power, if you will, and you can become vitamin D deficient. And vitamin D is something that um, your body makes from cholesterol from when you're exposed to the sunlight. And you can get it in some foods like um, fatty fish or dairy products. It'll say enriched with you know, vitamin D, but it's really hard to get just from diet alone. So when we talked about primary care versus functional medicine doctors, that's another one where doctors will be all over the map with what the vitamin D level should be. And that's where you can be in that normal zone, but you may not be in a therapeutic spot. And I like levels to be around 70 to 80. I think that's really the sweet spot for vitamin D because it, it helps with depression, like the seasonal affective disorder. It helps with immune health. There's just so many things that vitamin D does. It, there's all kinds of studies that have been done that link vitamin D deficiency to like respiratory tract infections. And here we go into the fall and winter season, like colds and bronchitis, pneumonia. It's all it can, you know, it can help protect us from flu even if we have adequate vitamin D levels. But again, the deficiency people come in, they're tired, they have fatigue, they have headaches. And, you know, finding all these micronutrients, it can be a vitamin D um, just as easily as it could be a B6. So you have to really sort those out. Um, we've talked about things that deplete other vitamins and vitamin D is no different. There's other drugs that will do it. Um, cholesterol lowering things like cholestyramine, which isn't a big thing that people use anymore, but seizure drugs like phenobarbital and dilantin. Um, I don't know if you remember that weight loss drug, Olerstat, that caused a lot of loose stools in people. Some people still take that. It's still in some of the foods that you can buy in the supermarkets now. Mm. Antibiotics. Um, there's just lots of different things that will deplete vitamin D as well. So mushrooms are a big thing that have vitamin D in them that a lot of people forget about. But mushrooms are important for our immune system, but they have vitamin D. Um, egg yolks, um, as we mentioned, the fatty fish, but being out in the sun is huge. If you're just out in the sun for 15 minutes a day, it can make a big difference. So I don't know, vitamin D is a big thing that I really feel people need to be supplemented in the wintertime. If you live north of, especially north of like North Carolina, anybody north of that during the <laughs> winter months usually needs vitamin D. Yeah. yeah, it makes sense. It's great data. And it's interesting, too, that um, I've seen a, a handful of emerging studies that connect vitamin D levels to COVID, right? So now with the rise of the Delta variant, um, saw one, I think it was today that came out that was connecting if you, if you have diabetes and your vitamin D levels are low, then you're at much higher risk of having severe COVID. Have you read about those? Absolutely. There was also an article oh, maybe a month ago that said 
pre-COVID levels of vitamin D were important, but especially if you have the diagnosis, taking it immediately, a huge loading dose of vitamin D3 was big to prevent the severity, as you mentioned. So timing of vitamin D in the COVID continuum, mm-hmm. hopefully you're not a long hauler, <laughs> yeah. is important. Yeah. But, yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned the forms. So you said D3, um, and then there's a prescription form as well, right? Yes, yes, there is. And also, I think when women are going through menopause, looking at their calcium, you know, when those doctors say, oh, yeah, you need calcium, well, you need D3, and you also need K2, and the K2 helps um, mobilize that calcium and tell it where to go, because it needs to go to the to the bone and not, you know, on the vessel wall or on a leaflet of your heart, you know, just all those other things where it can end up if we don't give it good instructions and direct it to go to where we need it. So wait, you said another one. You said K2. Yes, K2. <laughs> we'll, we'll have to talk about all those vitamin Ks. But I mean, it's again, it's just so important to monitor and right. to know what our micronutrients are because they all play such an important role. Mm-hmm. And it's really huge. It's it really is. Huge. Getting to that root cause, you know, people come in with a certain symptom and just really digging deep and getting that root cause figured out can help so many things. And you're always so good about um, helping us do that. So thank you so much for joining us today. Austin, did you have any other questions or comments? No, it's perfect. So yeah, we talked about six different, we got a bonus. So six different (laughs) nutrients that you could be deficient in. A lot of people are number one, B6, B12, folate, coenzyme Q10 or COQ10, as you called it, magnesium. And number six was vitamin D. So I guess the next step for everyone is go get tested, go find a functional medicine doctor and, or go online. You can go to our website or go go to a, find some at home tests and um, test your levels and then take action to improve those levels and hopefully improve your health overall. Agree. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Beck, for being on here. It's been a treat. My pleasure. Always good to chat with you all. Thanks for listening to the Empowered Podcast, your trusted advisor for all things health and wellness. For more information on how you can take control of your health, visit EmpowerDXLab.com or follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and we'll see you next time. Until then, stay empowered.